Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batir. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am here today with Dr. Anna Demio, Chief Product Officer at Fermata Energy. Fermata Energy is a provider of bi-directional chargers. They have several commercial demonstrations as well as consumer options. I'm excited to talk today with Dr. Anna and talk about the technology, talk about the true value of bi-directional EV use, and really just get a better understanding of this whole idea. So, Dr. Anna Demio, thank you for joining me on the show today. If you would please give me your in- give me a little bit of your background and an introduction to Fermata Energy. Great. Well. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. And feel free to call me Anna. <laughs> uh, so, um, background, let's see. So my background uh, over the past, um, most of my career has really been at the intersection of climate and energy, uh, as well as the intersection of software and hardware. I joined Fermata Energy uh, just about four months ago now, not long after they got their Series A funding. But Fermata Energy itself has been around for 10 years, which when you think about... Um, the growth in the EV space, and particularly the V2G space, that's, that's a lifetime in, in this industry. And that's made Fermata Energy really one of the few leaders, um, both in practice and in thought around this entire space. And what Fermata Energy does is they basically capitalize on the fact that uh, as we move this transition from uh, fossil fuel-based fleet to electrifying our, our mobility, our vehicle fleet, um, the idea is that this can really be an asset that can also support our grid, right? So a lot of people think, well, if we go completely to EVs, won't that break the grid? But if you utilize the batteries, so rather than just charging our cars, we use the batteries in our cars to also support the grid, both in terms of load shaping for the grid, but also in terms of resiliency. So the power outages that we face um, across the nation, that that is a win-win across the board. Not often do you get pla- places in time and space where the solution to two different problems. So A, our grid is aging infrastructure, we have increased renewables, and B, we have the electrification of mobility, and the solution to these are complementary. And that's what Fermata Energy does, is basically uh, uh, the, the leader in vehicle-to-grid technology, which is the bi-directional piece of um, matching vehicles with the grid. Hmm. Thank you for that introduction. That's very exciting. And, and I, I was going to ask you what V to G stood for, but it sounds like that's the vehicle to grid component. Yes, vehicle to grid. So you'll hear people say vehicle V to G, vehicle to grid, or V to X, which is vehicle to everything, which can be vehicle to grid, vehicle to building, vehicle to home. And, mm-hmm. you know, vehicle to everything or V to X sort of captures all of that. 
Uh, and, and the idea is, is that as we have more and more electric vehicles on the road, um, we can really leverage those in a significant way to both make our grid more stable and also reduce uh, carbon. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And 10 years is, it seems like 10 years, 10 years doesn't feel like a very long time in, in, in the perspective of time itself. But when we're talking about electric vehicles, I just want to, I want to make a, a, a point here. I want you to make a point here of how, how much has really changed in the past 10 years? Because I think my experience 10 years ago probably would have been one or two Teslas in, in the entire I, the entire, um, what am I trying to say? The, the high rise and the parking garage, there would be one or two Teslas 10 years ago. Whereas today, it seems like every third or fourth car that passes me on the road is a Tesla. <laughs> Tesla, yes. Tesla does, has done a lot to, uh, to seed this industry. So today, there's about 1.5 million EVs on the mm -hmm. road today. So that, that's significant, right? Yep. But if you think about it, by 2030, they're anticipating 26.4 million EVs. And so I also uh, teach about energy and the grid and mobility. And I often say to my students that as soon as you see a projection for the adoption of EVs, by the time it's up on the screen, it's probably outdated, <laughs> right? Because th the adoption rate is just going so very, very fast. Every car manufacturer on the planet is coming out with EVs, many of them, most of them coming out with V2G solutions of EVs. And there is a difference, which we can talk about if you're interested. But the adoption of EVs is significant. Again, one point, so just think about that today, is that 1.5 million EVs on the road today. And the battery capacity in the EVs that are on the road just today is about 10 times the amount of storage in the stationary storage industry today. That's wow. phenomenal, right? So when you think about... The, the sheer capacity that's driving around <laughs> right now, um, the, the possibilities and the scale is, is phenomenal and exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up that idea of, of V to G and what that means because my, my perspective or what I think about as we talk about, as we talk about EVs, I think of the battery in that EV almost being similar to a power bank where we we plug it in, charge it up, and then we utilize it for whatever we're gonna utilize it for. Yeah. But this whole idea of bi-directional makes me think that they're, obviously it, it's going back to the grid. That's the, the G part. Yep. So yeah. I guess what is the difference here and why can't all cars do that? Or can they all do that? I, they can and they, they, they eventually will, right? So when you think about the transition from, we all love our cars, right? We're a nation of, of car lovers. And, and historically, those have been uh, combustion engine fossil fuel. And we're in the middle of this transition where we're transitioning to EVs. And if you look out into the future, the, the vast majority of those EVs will be V2G enabled. So let me just talk about the difference there. Yep. Is that, so this is one plug, same car, uh, uh, same charger, but there's there's sort of a little bit tweak in both the vehicle and the charger to make the bi-directionality happen. So in a straight EV, you buy an EV or I buy an EV, and either at our work or at our home we have an EV charger, that's one direction. So your, your, the grid powers your home, which, which charges your car, right, through your electrical panel. One direction. 
But what V2G enables to do is that by, by making sure that you're deploying both charger and car with V2G capability, is, is that power can flow both ways, right? So you can charge your car when you need to, or you can charge, power your home or power the grid through your home when it's either economically advantageous to do so uh, uh, and or you need to because the grid's gone away. Okay. That, that makes sense? Yes, that absolutely makes sense. Now, I guess the, the natural follow-up question is why aren't all cars like that today? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> so, so there is, there is uh, uh, it's, a, it's a process, right? So, so it was a big step. You think about, you talked about the 10 years thing earlier, right? Um, you think about when solar panels first came out and it was like solar panels were such a novelty, right? And they were so expensive and, and only a few people had them. And now it's almost like every other house has it and, and the mm-hmm. price is, is, you know, has a, a re- reasonable payback, right? So yep. I would say the, the V2G space is where solar was, I don't know, back maybe 15 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Where the adoption is, there's, there's an acknowledgement now finally that we're moving to electrified mobility. We're moving to EVs. And, and the next step of that is to make sure the, and the car companies have acknowledged it, Right. And now it's like, oh, this has created an opportunity, but also a challenge, right? Because if we add millions and millions of EVs to the grid just that can only do single directional charging, that's a big strain on our already strained grid, mm-hmm. right? So everybody is collectively realizing, hey, we can actually use these batteries as an asset, right? This is a solution. This is what we call beneficial electrification, right? Because it can benefit the consumer and it can benefit the utility by being bi-directional. So the next step is to do the, the engineering between charger and car company to do this next generation, which is the bi-directionality piece. It's not rocket science. We just got to do it. Yeah. And we've done it. From, that's the thing. Is that from out of energy, we have done it. So, so what it means to be in this business for 10 years is that you are a company of first, right? We were the first mm-hmm. Um, first company to get UL certification for a bi-directional charger in the United States. And that's huge. So you have Christmas lights on, you know, and, and those have some UL certification. Well, your charger also needs to have this UL certification. It's mm. much more complicated when it's a charger, <laughs> but it's a big lift. And we were able to do that. We're also the first company to get a major car company to approve our charger in a way that it doesn't void their warranties. What that means is that, and this is Nissan, and uh, Nissan came out and said, hey, the Fermata Energy solution does not void our warranty. And that is so, so important because if you were to buy a, uh, a charger and plug your car in and you didn't have that, that assurance, it could void your warranty. And so we've, we have figured out uh, the car company, the battery health issue. We figured out the, the user, the drivability issue. And, um, and sort of we're first out the gate to prove that this technology works. And now we're all poised to scale. Wow. So let's talk about that, that issue there, that challenge associated with the, the car warranty. Sure. When, when I hear that and we're talking about the bat, I guess it's, it's, is this really focused just on the battery? Or are there potential complications that could be, I guess, driven into the car through a bi-directional charger? Yeah, so, so it's battery health, right? So it's, it's the, that kind of summarizes what the issue is there. So there's, 
there's probably two primary issues that come up for people when we talk B2G. One is for the, the vehicle and one is for the consumer. So let's take the vehicle first, which is this battery health issue, is that you'll hear lots of stories about, well, if you charge and discharge a battery too much, you, you degrade the battery and your car won't last as long, right? Mm-hmm. We have, so Formata Energy has an AI-driven software platform that does true machine learning. And we put, a, we put a number of priorities into that platform. And we say, look, Nissan has told us this is exactly how their battery has to be treated in order to preserve its integrity. And so we mm. put that priority first and foremost into our, our AI platform, right? So that well. it doesn't mess with that, right? <laughs> and, and we've proven it now. And now as, you know, as we, we work with and have, are in discussions with all the other big car companies, that is first and foremost important to them. The other really key thing that's important to both the car companies and the consumers is drivability, right? If I'm buying a car, it's because I want to drive it. And if I'm selling you a car, it's because I want you to like driving that car, right? The fact that you get the batteries for free <laughs> and you can do other things and other values for it, that's great. But first and foremost, we want to preserve what the uses of the vehicles. And that's our other priority that we lock into our software platform is... Um, that we call either duty cycles or driving time, that we always make sure that the, the driver uh, has the ability to drive as far as they want, whenever they want. And that's, mm-hmm. you've probably heard range anxiety. And yeah. that's something that we have um, assured that, that yes, you can make money off your car. And yes, your car can be a resiliency um, staple for you, but that's not going to impede your ability to drive your car. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because for me personally, I I used to, before the whole world went remote, or at least my company went remote, I worked three miles away from my house. So I would actually bike commute. Mm-hmm. So my car really is just for those long haul drives when I'm going on a road trip somewhere. Yeah. And for me, looking at an EV, I didn't understand the value until I saw that Ford commercial of... <laughs> everybody not having power and you plugging in your your truck into your house and all the lights come on yeah. and then i was like oh okay it makes sense because right now frankly my car is is not the way most people use cars yeah. so having that secondary value in it is would actually get me interested in the ev market yeah. and it sounds like i mean that's that's not what most people think about right but i i guess there is a question there. <laughs> with, with your algorithm, is it to the point where a consumer can say, I want to maximize, maximize the amount of power I'm selling back to the grid? Can they change what their priorities are? Mm-hmm. Or is that strictly built in? Yeah. So let me take that in parts. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, so first of all, thank you, Ford, for that, for that Ford Lightning Super Bowl commercial because it, it really brought things um, to the mainstream in a way that, that helped all of us um, in terms of moving, moving this forward. So, and, and to your driving um, patterns, you're not an anomaly, actually, because if you look at the statistics, um, most vehicles are driven less than 10% of the time and are parked for 90% of the time, which... which makes people bristle sometimes like wow you know it's it's this comfort of knowing that i can drive even if you don't and when you think about a time in the future let's say we're we're 15 years out from now and most of the evs on the road let's say there's 25 percent of the cars on the road are evs or 50 percent of the cars are evs and and most of those are v2g 
we don't need to take everybody's battery. We can take just a smidge off everyone's because there's critical mass there, mm. right? And so, and then when you think about the batteries under the hood, so take something like a Nissan Leaf. A Nissan Leaf under the hood has about four and a half power walls under the wow. hood, right? So when you think about that, people are pretty happy if they have one power wall in their house and you have four and a half under the hood. Yeah. Our CEO, Davis Husky, always says that, that you can buy four and a half power walls and you get the leather seats and the air conditioning for free, right? <laughs> <laughs> Beca- with, with buying that one vehicle purchase. So, so that's sort of um, reference there. But as far as your question, it goes about uh, our platform making, making revenue. So we started and proved out our technology in the commercial space, right? So it w- these are the early adopters, fleets who have a number of cars who are tied to buildings. Buildings have... Uh, a different way that they get charged electricity, so they have exceptionally higher electricity for how much they, how much power they're using at any given moment. Right? Um, so there's two different ways our platform can make, uh, we can make uh, a consumer, or a business, or a fleet manager, or a building owner money, and it's through utility programs, demand response programs that will pay you a certain amount per kilowatt. Um, uh, as well as per kilowatt hour and then the demand charge management piece. And so the way this platform works, though, is, is we, the, our slogan is park it, plug it, profit, right? But, but by choice, right? So the idea is, is, you know, your fleet, the fleets are out doing what they're doing and they'll get a signal saying, hey, if you want to park between this time and this time tomorrow, you can make, I'm going to throw a number, you can make $500, and then it's their choice whether they want to park it mm. or not, right? Yeah. And so proving that out, now that platform can scale. It can scale for, for communities, for building owners. You know, we'll, we're right now we're in the commercial space, but certainly as, as this technology becomes more ubiquitous, it'll hit every sector, residential, commercial, industrial going forward. Yeah, I, I saw on the Fermata Energy website that there were several different demonstration projects. And... I'd like to talk about those. Sure. I think you've kind of explained conceptually what that looks like mm-hmm. in in practice. Some of these examples that I saw was um, the buying one Nissan Leaf ended up generating, I think it was eight thousand dollars for for one client, mm-hmm. and another client completely paid off their entire lease lease price for their fleet mm-hmm. by doing the the bidirectional charging. Can you can you talk about any of those examples and kind of, I guess... Sure, I'd love to. I'd love to talk about these. It goes back to, to uh, Fermata Energy being a, a company of first, right? We are the first company to prove that you can make significant, impactful money for your customers, um, the, the vehicle can, um, with this model. And that's, that's game-changing, really. And so what Fermata Energy's done is we've, we have a number of... Um, Deployments across the country end to end, showing again and again uh, the profits that can be made or the revenue that can be made or the savings from these. So, for example, in Rhode Island, in Boroughville, uh, Rhode Island Energy has a connected solutions program. And this connected solution program uh, pays, I think it's $300 uh, a kilowatt for, for discharge back into the grid. And so with between two summers in 2021 and 2022, and that's just 10 weeks, the, the um, owner of that one vehicle, one charger, made over $8,000. Wow. Right? $8,000, so it pays off the charger itself in you know, less than three years. It can pay off 
um, or it can pay off the value of uh, the cost of a, a Nissan lease um, for the leaf itself. So it's really significant um, money. And this is just, remember, this is just one car, one charger, right? So you think about the scalability there. In uh, the city of Boulder, in Boulder, Colorado, uh, did a program there, an ongoing program we have with them. And again, in just uh, one, one deployment of one vehicle, uh, over $6,000 over its time since it's been there, which I think is uh, two or three years now. Wow. So again, that payoff of that initial investment. And then remember that when you buy just an EV charger unidirectional, you pay for the charger and that's it, right? <laughs> yeah. When you buy this charger, not only does it pay itself off in two to three years, but then you just keep making money, right? So year after year after year, you're making, it becomes, it turns what would have been a sunk cost into a profit over time. Yeah. So it's charging your car and it's money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And then for those, you know, th- there's certain people who say, well, I drive all the time, you know. Well, then that's the resiliency piece, right? If, if your particular car um, either isn't poised to be parked when, when you're going to make the most profit, it's totally up to you. But you still have that resiliency piece in there that has value. So it almost, it almost begs the question, which you asked earlier, is why would you even do straight EV? Right? Yeah. <laughs> really? And I think we're going to get to a point in time in the not-too-distant future, now that Vermont Energy has proved all this out, we're going to get this to the future. Like, remember when? It's like, remember when there were, um, what were those things called? Palm pilots? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those single-use devices? Why would you have a single-use device? <laughs> yeah. So, same, same idea. Uh, very cool. So, it sounds like the technical component has been more or less figured out, mm-hmm. and you've gotten... You've gotten the the buy-in from Nissan, mm-hmm. and you have done these pilot projects. I'm curious, what are the major challenges now? What are the things that are stopping Vermont Energy from being the one that goes into that is the only charger that now gets installed? Like, what is what is really slowing down continued growth and adoption? You mean beyond the need to sleep? um yeah so so remember we 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 built the hardware because we had to because um we were so early on in this space right but as as time goes on a good thing that's going to happen for this industry and for consumers and for utilities is that the hardware is going to become a commodity just like it did in solar just like it did in stationary storage right and really the value here is the software it's the it's the AI, a machine learning software that takes one of the most complicated equations, right? You think it's already complicated thinking about the grid and, and weather and, and the state of charge of a stationary battery, and then you put that battery on wheels, <laughs> and, the comp- and, and the equation gets much more complicated. And that's what our software platform does. Is it, it, it locks in those priorities, like I said, about battery health and trip schedule, um, but then it, it allows you to take in a whole bunch of uh, variables and uncertainties and make best choices for um, whatever you want to optimize around, whether it's ec- economics, whether it's resiliency, even if whether it's uh, carbon or, or whatnot. But the, the challenge going forward, um, it, so, I, so I think that the hardware is going to be, car companies are going to come out, chargers are going to come out, and we're going to have the software platform uh, that will work. You know, it'll be, uh, the, our whole goal is to be charger agnostic and and car agnostic. We want to work 
across all of them because they're all going to need it, right? I think the challenge right now is the pace of adoption um, in terms of just car companies getting out with the, with the products, uh, the deployment, and then there's some, there's some overarching um, you know, regulatory type issues in terms of how you, how you adopt this much storage into the grid. And it's just about business models, but I think those are being untangled. But we're really lucky in this space because, because years ago, solar had to navigate uh, how to get widely deployed. And it was like, oh, I can't do it. There's problems, can't do it. And then came along stationary storage. And they followed suit and you had the same sort of resistance in different pockets, a little, maybe a little less. And now we get to follow, like we're like, we're like the last kid in a family. Like <laughs> the, the oldest in the middle just kind of broke in the parents. And now we kind of know this playbook and how to navigate it. And um, I have confidence that, that, that the benefits are so staggering. And so um, it's not often that you get to a place in time where, where, where this solution can also solve other problems that we have going on. And um, that's a really fun space to be in. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Now, we've really, I guess right now, you've been more in the commercial side, working with commercial people, and their their electricity contracts are different, as you pointed out. Yeah. And one thing that, I guess, as you move into the consumer space and people having bi-directional charging at their houses, how does that, I guess, are there different types of challenges or are there different types of concerns on an individual user by user basis that that have to be considered yeah i mean i think it's it's significant and hopefully reassuring as we move forward in this space that we have proven out this technology in the commercial space right we've we've done some of the, the heavy a lot of the heavy lifting on this, um, which you want before you put this in someone's home. You want to make sure that that we've thought through all the pitfalls, right? And yeah. and so that that's reassuring. Uh, I would say that the the best value proposition today for the residential space, the consumer space, is this resiliency, is this backup power. Mm-hmm. It's it's what spoke to everybody in that Super Bowl commercial, right? Yeah. It's it's the idea that that across the country we're seeing grid outages, what happened in Texas two years ago, rolling blackouts in California, right? It, it is first and foremost in so many people's minds is this idea of resiliency and sort of sort of owning your own energy future, right? Mm-hmm. And so that resiliency play is key. And that means that we're making sure that there's backup power. And a huge part of, I think, our mission and our, and our challenge is educating. Right? So you almost have to educate the consumer for them to adopt. And we've seen this again and again I mean, throughout history, is that something comes on, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when, when the internet came around, right? <laughs> and, and, um, or even computers, right, in, in mass. And, and think about how it only took people about, only took about 20 years for people to go completely computer illiterate to everyone from a senior citizen to a, really, what, a three-year-old can, can operate a computer. Yep. And it's that same challenge here is that there's a huge amount of, um, energy education that happens in terms of, like you said, you saw the commercial and you're like, oh, my car and my house. And that's a connection that hasn't, it's been made in your head that those are two big investments. Yeah. But the fact that one can support the other, like that's a light bulb moment. 
That's yeah. like, yeah, sign me up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just a, a quick story for everybody. During the winter freeze in Texas back in, in February of 2021, I heard a story about somebody who had an EV and they also, un- unfortunately for them, also had all uh, ground source heat pumps and, and residential geothermal built into their house, but they didn't have any type of bi-directional charging. They were out of power for, I think, four or five days. They were also out of town. So Ooh. all they could do was watch their power in, in their EV slowly drain mm. and learn that their heat pumps were all freezing. Mm-hmm. And when they got home, they had a flooded house, a dead battery, and something on the order of hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. of insurance claims to now go and make. Yeah. And that, to me, after seeing something like that commercial and thinking about the resiliency that can be built in using bi-directional charging, now it's like, oh, well, that is actually a, a, a problem that now could be avoided or yeah. could be Never has to positioned happen again. against. Yeah. yeah. Never has to happen again. And, yeah. and, and even, you know taking it from the individual to what happened in Texas. So we're working, so so a early adopter of this technology is around um, trucks and buses and school buses that are, a lot of them are going EV right now and then the V2G piece. But if you had, if, if at that time you could actually drive your power sensor, drive your buses and trucks to key locations within that Texas grid that could power, you know, um, at risk facilities, uh, different shelters or whatnot, right? Key facilities. This is the idea is that your storage is now on wheels and you can drive it strategically. A storm is coming in. We're actually working with a community on on just early stages of designing a pilot around this. It's like a storm is coming in. Your buses are all, your school buses are all charged. Let's deploy them strategically around your grid. Mm. And this goes, this really speaks to the idea that we're going from a centralized grid, which is the same grid structure that's been in place since since Tom Edison started Pearl Street Station in New York City over 100 years ago, right? And he powered just, you know, New York Times, J.P. Morgan. And now, all this time later, we're, we're, we're very clearly shifting to a distributed energy situation, a distributed grid where you can deploy remote or distributed assets that can shore up different regions of the grid. And that should give everyone great comfort to know that we're bringing... We're bringing technology and intelligence into a grid that really has been lacking it for far too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That idea of mobile energy is is mind-boggling. That's like yeah. an aha moment of really not only unlocking the 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 full power of of storage, but also really expediting the resiliency and security aspects of the grid. Yeah. It, it, it opens up uh, so much opportunity at a time when the grid really needs solutions. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, with that, I think that's a good stopping point. So I'm going to transition us now into the final questions. These are the questions I ask all my guests. So that first question being, what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend? Ooh. Goodness, I feel like this might be a trick question. <laughs> I'm going to go for uh, a book that I'm currently reading that I'm really, really enjoying. Um, this is How They Tell Me the World Ends um, by Pearl Roth, Nicole Pearl Roth. And it's, it speaks to um, 
really uh, cybersecurity issues. It's fascinating. Uh, she is a, a reporter, and she does an incredible job. Uh, so I highly, I mean, I'm not through it all the way. My son recommended it, and he finished it, and um, I am loving it. Yeah. That sounds interesting. It almost sounds, coming from a journalist, I'm curious if that title is pointing towards the idea of propaganda as well. But this is not our geopolitical podcast. You this have to read the, the book to find out. This is the Energy yeah. Transition Solutions <laughs> podcast. So if you want geopolitics, go find Jordan and his podcast. <laughs> the next question is, when will we be net zero as a society? Wow. If I knew that, I could probably like sort of bet on the, on the <laughs> stock market, right? And make some, some predictions. Um, so I'll tell you this, is that that our ability to get to net zero, um, we have that ability today, right? This is not a technology Im impediment to get there, right? We can get there with the technology we have today. And this has been proven at community energy across the globe. There's communities that have used existing proven technology to become net zero. Right now, the challenge is around the, the policy, the regulatory, the governance structure, it's it's the balance of system of everything, but it's not the technology. And so, so I have great confidence that, that uh, we will get there sooner than we think, right? But, but rest assured that the technology solutions that we need to get there are already in place. Not that there won't be more, and these will be more developed, and, and there'll be a progression, but um, I think often people think, well, oh, we're just not there yet. This is just not mature enough, or, we, or it's just too big of a problem. And, and I've been doing this a long time, and, <laughs> and, and I can tell you that, that we have a way to match demand with generation in a way that is uh, sustainable today, mm. and that's exciting. Yep, yep. I've heard that answer multiple times, and also just the point of the human ingenuity and innovation. Mm -hmm. So whatever little hiccups that show up along the way, mm -hmm. those are ones that we are going to solve for. And if there is something that is part of the policy or regulation or, or the creature comforts that we don't want to give up, we are, we are going to find a way to keep the cre creature comfort and also find a solution to help us get towards that net zero. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I think sometimes people are concerned that oh, our way of life has to drastically change in a way that that people, many people would find negative. And I don't see that at all. I think that we can look to history. That these transformational changes are well, you know, are well documented history. How we can get there. I started in telecom when I was first out of school. And I was in telecom in the '90s when that industry was going through it was a regulated industry, going through deregulation. You had disruptive technology come in change the face of it. And you also had the other key um, parallel to what's going on in energy today is you had people for the first time being interested in telephony, right? And you see mm -hmm. all of those being manifested today in energy, right? A regulated, having gone through deregulation, disruptive technology, and people being engaged in energy in a way they never have been before. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very heartening to, to see that transformation, to see so many people engaged. And I think that is sort of maybe the last um, forcing function to make the rest of the dominoes fall into place. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the last question is now you actually get to ask me a question. Oh, I like this. This is great. Um, 
So you've probably heard me say the word exciting no less than six times because I'm obviously very excited about this space. But um, this is what I live, eat, and breathe every day. And so the question I have for you is, is what to you about the energy space uh, overall is most exciting? That, it's a good question. And it's different than most people often ask me, what is that most exciting technology? But I think in the energy space, what is most exciting is the way that we are innovating and creating new solutions and thinking about something as, as I guess it, it, it seems like a simple solution, the idea of being able to drive batteries to where you need them, or in the, in the sense of a, there was an example I saw from one of the recent hurricanes of a company that one of their sole, sole focus areas is being able to quickly set up a solar array with a small, small battery storage system. And that is the same idea of being able to take the power to where it's needed. Exactly. Like that's very exciting. The idea and, and really the, the underlying software behind distributed energy resources and what it's going to take to think about 25 million individuals with their individual desires and their individual habits and being able to put those onto the grid in a way that makes it better. I think those are the things that excite me. And it's, it's the same with, to me, large-scale storage. One thing that, that I work on in my day job is thermal energy storage in the subsurface. And that is something that it can be as simple as maybe charge 18 hours, discharge six hours. But that's not how the energy prices work, and that's not how the grid works, and that's not necessarily even how the end user wants to use that energy. So knowing that we can model this very simplistic idea, but then we can also create a solution that actually does benefit the grid and actually does benefit the, the larger energy ecosystem. I think that is, that's what's most exciting to me is just hearing all these different ideas and then starting to piece together this energy system of the future and think about what it's going to look like and how many different moving parts there are and how in the end, as opposed to a mosh pit, it's really going to look like a very coordinated, almost a, a flash mob or a coordinated, beautiful ballroom dance. Yeah. I love the flash mob instead of ballet. That was really good. <laughs> yes, because it, from a distance, it may look like it's a little crazy and a little uncoordinated, but really it's, it's very difficult and you have to do it with bystanders who are not participating. And that's really what a distributed energy grid is going to be. No, it's a great analogy. I, I, might, I might lift that from you in the future. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Anna, thank you for joining me on the show today. Is, before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to say? No, it's, it's been great talking to you. I always love uh, these conversations, and, and thank you for getting this information out to the general public because I think that's a really big piece. But as an educator myself, I think this education piece and bringing people into um, the excitement of the time they live in right now, it is, um, it's really good, good to see. So thank you. 
Yes, you're welcome. And it, it definitely is a passion project. I love sharing this information and all of these different ideas. So happy to be doing it. Great. Well, thank you again for joining me on the show. And thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend and leave a review telling me what you're enjoying most or what you'd like to hear more of. If you want to hear more news and energy-related stories, we have all sorts of energy-related podcasts on OGGN. You can find them by connecting with us on LinkedIn or visiting OGGN.com. One more thing, I have a quick favor to ask. I have a one-question survey that I want you to fill out. The link will be in the show notes. If you can go and fill that out, we can send you some stickers. And finally, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.